0: Soil is a vital living ecosystem that supports plants, animals, and humans. It's teeming with billions of bacteria, fungi, and other microbes that are the foundation of a complex ecosystem. Viewing soil this way reflects a fundamental shift in the way we care for it. Welcome to the Soil Health Podcast from Minokin Farm.
1: Well, this is Jay Fear, uh, Soil Health Specialist with Natural Resources Conservation Service here in Bismarck, North Dakota. And today we're at the Edible Landscapes Conference. And it's a two-day conference uh, here at Bismarck State College. And uh, with us today is Lana Shaw, Southeast Research Farm at Red River, Saskatchewan. And uh, we want to talk a little bit uh, with Lana today on um, intercropping. And when we think intercropping or we have intercropping discussions, Lana, your name invariably comes up. And we look at you as probably somebody that really worked with us in terms of um, the, the foundation and foundational items as, as you started to put those together uh, with your research. And, uh, but, to get, but to start the podcast, maybe you'd just share a little bit about uh, who Lana is and I know you shared with the group earlier you know, in terms of a farm background and, and mm-hmm. those type of things. So maybe, maybe you'd, uh, we'll start today with just who is Lana Shaw.
2: Okay, uh, so I went to university in Saskatoon, U of S, and for about 20 years I've been working uh, in either extension or research roles. And uh, I have two kids of my own and two stepkids that are um, sort of my own. And my husband is the, actually the, the technician for the farm. He used to work in the oil patch and, and so on. Now I have a husband technician. So that's, um, it's sort of like a family research farm, but not really. That's um, a little bit about me and.
1: Yeah, very good. Uh, moving right into the topic, uh, when I, took, uh, I took some notes while you were, while you were uh, talking to the group today. And one of the things that you talked about uh, made a lot of sense, and it was um, taking a crop that's possibly weak on its own, or has production issues that are always a little difficult to work with on its own, and combining it with a different crop. And so is this uh, this something that um, you started out with initially, or is it something you saw evolve more, or tell us a little bit about how that came about.
2: Uh, I think it's something that I learned as we were working with the chickpea flax or just observed that uh, one of the reasons that it just seemed to work really well is that the chickpeas were always one of the highest potential value crops in our province but their acres were really quite low because people it wasn't reliable it was risky and and there was just really inherent problems and I that I saw as an opportunity. And I've always thought flax was a good crop, but there's, there's just these issues. And so then when I saw they were just working so well together, it, that's something that seemed o- obvious to me at the time. And then talking to the, the, some of the other farmers that were early innovators, they saw it much the same. That, that they were growing different crops. That we want to be able to grow specialty crops because they're high value, and one of the reasons that they're high value is because they're hard to grow. So that's a low-hanging fruit for for intercropping.
1: And and the, the way we see that play out, then it um, it actually made um, both of the crops stronger. And I think that's that's. Um obviously something that uh, everybody can uh, improve on their production system on so. The other thing that uh, we heard you say uh, was that uh, make sure you can separate them before you plant them.
2: If you plan to separate them make sure you plant can separate them before you plant them not just I'm pretty sure and that also means that if the seed is cracked if you do some damage to your pulses That you can still separate it from whatever that smaller seed is and um, if there's ten percent of your crop that you can't really separate that ends up being a mix what is going to be your market for that there may be a feed market that could work out really well but um, ideally you've got maybe a feed market in mind so those are things that need to be thought about quite seriously and line up how is this going to be separated and who is going to do it and figure out what the costs are gonna be so that this isn't a surprise after the fact. Because I heard from a a seed cleaner in Fargo this summer that they do not appreciate having somebody come and arrive and try to make it their problem to separate some crop (laughs) and then um, have to negotiate over a really high separation bill at the end of the process. This is all things that should be thought of and arranged before you even seed.
1: I think it's just uh, do your homework first for sure. I mean, yeah. you're, you're stepping yeah. into an arena that uh, you might not be all that comfortable in initially or that knowledgeable initially, mm-hmm. so for sure do some homework.
2: It's this, I consider this advanced farming technique, and you treat it as such. It's not a whim that you just decide, oh, this is a trend somebody else is doing, so I'm going to try it. as a whim on last minute. You're better off to spend six months planning it than do it badly the first time and then give up.
1: Absolutely, because we'd we'd like to see success. Yes,
2: Yes. success breeds success and whereas a failure just puts a big damper on things which is why I don't mind getting calls from people. I'd rather people try this and be successful than go on some half-baked ideas and instructions or out-of-date information and and then fail at it, and right. then it's just proof that intercropping doesn't work. But instead of proof that you did it with poor instructions,
1: well, something you've been able to achieve, which I think is speaks well of of your efforts and speaks well of the the egg community you work with. Then is is the farmer interaction. And so not only are you doing the, um, the research on the farm, but then there's the interaction with the farming community who have become quite vested in the entire process. And so as we, talk to farmers who have done this, and as we talk to yourself, we see that unfold as kind of a common theme. So did you see that initially as this was the way forward, or is it something that occurred as you went down the road,
2: or? I think it just happened. Um, you know, maybe it's because I'm that isolated out in a very rural area, and it ha- a lot of it happened on Twitter. So on Saturday morning, I am bored in Redverse, Saskatchewan, and start, you know, talking to some farmers about what they're doing and who's doing some intercrops, and and just building um, some sort of social media relationships. And the first intercrop event that we had two winters ago, I think, was largely people that had made connections with each other over social media, over Twitter, right. Right. and we basically had a big Twitter meetup, which was really exciting because we had already been talking right. over social media, and that was the first time that a lot of them had, had met in, in person to, to all talk about this. So, it wasn't something where I had a plan that this was going to all happen this way. It just sort of unfolded I've kind of stumbled my way forward and found myself at the front of a bandwagon. And I was waiting for somebody else to organize this and trying to convince other people to take this and run with it. And when nobody else did, I kind of got mad and did it myself.
1: <laughs> well, however, however that occurred, uh, it, it was a good thing. And something that um, uh, my understanding is uh, somewhere's in Saskatchewan, in the neighborhood of 100,000 acres approximately, give or take. Uh, no mm-hmm. way to know exactly, but um, we're somewhere's in that area. That's a significant uh, acreage. And so that's It's not commercially
2: significant. It's no. significant as a trend. I think it's probably doubled since 2018. Exactly. And. Uh, people tend to keep asking me how much longer is this going to last and are, are you still getting asked to go and talk at, at intercrop event, or talk about intercropping at events? And I s- say yes, I'm still getting asked. I'm getting asked to, at bigger and bigger meetings. So there's some people that are, just keep waiting for it to fizzle and I suppose it's possible it will, but I'm not going to go around trying to make that happen. I'm trying to meet the needs of people, answer questions, and my enthusiasm is contagious and it just keeps right. going.
1: Right, and, and I see it so much too as a tool to bring diversity into a cropping system where sometimes it uh, could be due to the length of the growing season or um, maybe a bit more of an arid area. There's combinations of reasons why maybe a cover crop is, could be difficult to establish some falls, but here's a way you brought diversity to a cropping system. And so one of the things that, mm-hmm. that I always try to look at is, did this action increase diversity in this landscape, yes or no, at the end of the day? Yeah. And and for sure it did. And so it was an opportunity to bring in more than one crop type. and mm-hmm. And so from that viewpoint, I, I see it as something rather strong that uh, plays a role and that is um, I certainly wouldn't look at as a fad or anything else. I look at it as strong economics and strong diversity within a cropping system mm-hmm. uh, that definitely can make this entire thing more resilient. So with that said, um, one of the one of the things we've all been dealing with are in our, our cropping, uh, resource concerns, and you brought it out, and and you use the analogy of a two-legged stool, and and I thought that's a pretty good analogy because of um, really what we're up against when we are trying to rely solely on a on a monocrop uh, type environment. Mm. So maybe you'd share a little bit your thoughts on where 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 you kind of been with that, and obviously we know that uh, the intercropping is is something that you're looking at to address this but I'd like to hear from you a little bit on that topic.
2: Okay, it's it's been a bandwagon for me for quite a while that that only growing two crops is not not a reasonable goal. It's not it's not even really acceptable as it's it's just a status quo and we really need to be working at solutions to that. And I know that you know extension and government and everybody has been trying to do that, but this is just a new way of addressing that problem instead of say, them saying, well, we should convince them to grow monocrop peas or we should convince them to grow all of these other crops that hypothetically they could grow. There's a reason that they're not growing them as monocrops in that area. So we're just it's a way of just kind of throwing out the paradigm and, and saying, well, what if we grow two crops at the same time? Maybe these, some of these crops that people don't really like to grow will actually work. And that's why it's kind of taking off, because we just, we're so outside, far outside the box. We lost the box, and we can't really return yeah, it anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah I, think, I, think, I think we lost that. Uh, and, and is that where one of your quotes kind of comes from then? Is that a bit of the basis of uh, why not intercropping, or if not now, when? I heard you mention both.
2: Yeah. I, I it's some of that's coming from Colin Rosengren who is okay. such a uh he's a you know one early of my
1: adopter
2: early innovator genius farmer yeah. people that you know he, he when I call him he answers the phone and and we you know bounce I, I bounce ideas off right. of him he's a resource for me and th- he's been waiting for this to happen for years since you know he's had picked up on some of the work that was done down at Carrington and started implementing it seeing it worked he's an inventor and I like surrounding myself with genius farmers and I don't know why there aren't a whole bunch of research people out at those farms but they don't understand and know what a treasure some of those people are they just don't understand but I grew up on a farm, I know that there's some very, very smart people that farm, that don't um, that some of those ideas you don't get at scientific conferences. But um, that's <laughs> it, it's, it's just a little bit of a different mindset.
1: Well, one of the um, one of the reasons uh, that uh, we wanted to invite you to the conference to speak was uh, just what you're speaking to right now, that you have this background and you have this background uh, not only growing up in a farm but but uh, your ability to uh, Bring in the farming individual farmers and connect with them and make this uh, a collaborative effort Where everybody gains mm-hmm. and so that that in itself is we feel is is quite unique. So for that we certainly commend you yeah. but um, just to kind of bring us to to um a close here, um, maybe you'd share a little bit uh, your Twitter handle, uh, some of that type of information okay. for people who would like to
2: uh, go a little further down this uh, topic. Okay, um, the hashtag intercrop innovators, all one word, is probably the quickest point to, to find me and a whole lot of other people that are doing intercropping. Uh, at SE underscore research farm is my Twitter handle but if you look up intercrop innovators probably three-quarters of the posts are me But a lot of the time I will use that to retweet farmers who I find are doing some intercropping so that I can help to connect all the farmers if that's one of the main things I've done is try to help f- connect farmers to each other so that we can all learn from Faster, because we can't all learn this the hard way. There, this is yeah. far too complex a subject for everyone to attempt to learn this the hard way. And I really appreciate the the attitude of a lot of these farmers that they're willing to help each other farmers Absolutely. to learn. And they, you know, they are businesses. They are comp- competing with various other people in in the marketplace. They don't have to do that but they have been really willing to do it and seeing an advantage in doing it and they have all learned from different people, other farmers, different researchers, so they've had a really good attitude like um, Derek Axton had said that that he's not keeping everything he's learned in a silo because he's benefited from so many other people and he's been very generous about sharing that and as long as that keeps going I think this will keep building and I keep trying to facilitate that.
1: Very good. Very good. Okay. So, we've been uh, coming to you today again from the Edible Landscapes uh, two day conference uh, here in Bismarck, North Dakota. And we appreciate Lana Shaw uh, sharing some information today with us on the podcast. And uh, with that, we're going to conclude. And so, we thank you very much.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: The Soil Health Podcast is a production of the Monokin Farm. Monokin Farm exists to foster natural resource education and systems approach conservation. This 150-acre demonstration farm, located just east of Bismarck, North Dakota, was established in 2009 and draws people from all over the world. The farm is owned and operated by Burley County Soil Conservation District, which has an office in Bismarck, North Dakota. Additional financial and technical support is provided by the North Dakota Department of Health, Water Quality Division, Natural Resources Conservation Service, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture.